Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the LawCast. This time we're going back to cover Angle versus Joe round two. It's Turning Point 2006. Kyush, coming off Angle versus Joe part one, why do you think TNA felt the need to go to an immediate rematch? Well, aside from the fact that at the conclusion of that first match, Samoa Joe begged for a rematch and and Kurt Angle made him look like a dickhead, um, I think they kind of had to do it because I think their their plan, which was kind of the infamous 50-50 booking that we always make fun of, right, is like we can't we got to beat Joe because we can't beat Kurt, but we can't just leave Joe out in the woods having his undefeated streak broken and not give him anything so let's have him beat kurt too so then they're equals and then the rubber match we can promote down the road and then that'll be the big one at least that's what i assume the plan was that's not what happens yeah i mean the other question is i don't know if by this point how if they're starting to get faster data on pay-per-view by i don't know whether they knew how big a success the first angle joe match was at the box office yet, but I can understand on some level if they do knowing they did their biggest buy rate ever that they would say, let's go to an immediate rematch and try to keep the business hot. That obviously, uh, as it turns out, does not work at all. Yeah. I mean, I guess in retrospect, like it is, it's easy to see how you can get like lured into that. Obviously the best long-term thing for the company is to like put that away for now build to it for like bound for glory and like come back to it and have a second like big built to match you're not going to be able to hit the same flash in the pan buy rate that you did before because that was just for people being so excited to see kurt's first match and it happens to be against joe you don't actually have like a hot feud here no one gives a shit about this feud they just wanted to see that match and they saw it yeah i think I would not be inclined to go to the immediate rematch. I mean, I wasn't a fan of going to the match right away. I think I probably would have. I mean, you had Kurt on the night of refused to give the rematch. I think you could have just stuck with that and have Kurt be like, no, I'm not going to fight Joe again. I want to go win the NWA title. Like Joe can, if Joe wants a match with me, he's going to have to you know, earn a title shot because I'm going to be the champion. See, this is why I always kind of wish the TNA would have something in place This is the exact perfect scenario to have Samoa Joe, like, win the G1 Climax or win the Royal Rumble. Like, Kurt be like, I'm not giving you a fucking rematch. Kiss my ass. So so Joe has to go win some huge, onerous, impossible tournament or match to force the rematch. So then he's just like, guess what, Kurt? I'm back. (laughs) Let's do it. That would be good. That would be a compelling long-term story, but that's really not Vince Russo's specialty now, is it? God, yes. Let's remember that Vince Russo is the one booking here, so he is not in any way inclined to go in that direction. But I don't think it's just him booking, because you and I have mentioned this before, but like, it feels like if you watch the impacts in between, Kurt as a character is being pulled in a million different directions. Like... Yeah, that's the it, problem with you saying that they should hold off on the match because like a week later now he's a white meat babyface who wants to fight Joe. Yeah, it just feels like from show to show how Kurt is being portrayed as a character is radically different, and even beyond whether he's a face or a heel, which is bouncing around a lot, it's more just like yeah, one week he's yeah a good guy, ultra competitor babyface, all American patriot. Next week, he's a weasel heel. It just, yeah, they seem to be struggling to find consistency with his character. And 
I think there's either I think there's some dispute between Kurt and the writing team on what they want what they want to be doing. Like Kurt, I've heard say he he himself talked about on his podcast that he 100 percent wanted to be a heel. That's what he was most comfortable doing. It's what he wanted to do. And I can believe that like Jeff Jarrett saw, you know, the money in him as more of a baby face. And I don't know what Vince Russo would have wanted. I mean, Russo is not really a proponent of strong heels and baby faces anyway. Anybody in the office who's probably like Cornette or Tanay or Jarrett, the money is in Kurt Angle being a babyface right now. But if what he wants to be is a heel, whatever. But like, it, it just whiplashes back and forth. Like from the pay per view where he literally all but like shoved a middle finger in Joe's face and said, "Fuck you, no rematch, haha, I'm a heel now." The three weeks later, where they literally stand in the ring together, and Kurt Angle's like, "I'll give you a rematch under one condition." that you watch my back until turning point and we'll be best friends and make sure each other are okay. That is the lamest turnaround and it makes no sense. It only makes sense if you believe that somebody backstage is like, we can't do this. No, let's, we got to make him face. Come on, come on, come on. Yeah. So the angle Joe match got a great reaction live. It was universally praised by fans, by the newsletters there was concern on the night of from Jeff Jarrett, and I think this was shared by Angle and by Joe, that the match was too short. Um, I don't have an issue with the length of that match. I thought it was a great, great match, and I don't mind that they kind of left something for the next time. I don't think it has to be a 30-minute epic, especially when with the two guys yeah. that we're talking about here. You and I have, like, on many occasions gone out of our way to be like more matches should be like that Goldberg Brock match. Like this one wasn't that short, obviously, but like it does, you don't have to have a 30 minute match to have like a unique, awesome situation. And I don't think there was anything wrong with that first match at all. I really love matches where it feels like the guys are trying to win the entire yeah. time from go rather than so many matches are just like, let's dick around for a while. Like if it's going to be a longer match, if it's going to be a 20 minute match, you know, a lot of times the first 10 minutes are just going to be bullshit. It's going to be a lot of just like takedowns, headlocks, arm ringers, like stuff we don't care about that doesn't do anything for anybody. God, this is why I bury that Bret Hart Shawn Michaels Iron Man match so much because that's a ten minute fucking match that goes for sixty five. Yeah, it is. Oh, so the next impact was November twenty third. That happened to be Thanksgiving night. Um, I believe this is the point where they they had had the previous special, the previous primetime special. I think this is the point where Impact goes to primetime every week, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's also Thanksgiving night. They have stiff competition from the first ever Thursday night football game. This is the first time they did the three NFL games on Sun on uh, Thanksgiving night. And, of course, that tradition has continued. Now we have Thursday night football every week of the season. Um, in this game, if anyone cares, the Kansas City Chiefs beat the Denver Broncos 19-10 to 10 at Arrowhead Stadium. It's so funny. Imagine if you're TNA and you're like, oh, man, we're finally going to get a primetime slot. We're going to be on Thursday nights. Yeah, there's all those sitcoms and shit that you got to worry about, but there's no real sports programming on Thursday nights. And there really never has been. We're going to be basically unopposed except by random basketball games. And here comes the NFL to drop a big steamy load right on you. Yeah. 
Um, despite all that, they still draw a respectable 0.83 rating, which is kind of on par with what they've been doing. That's maybe a good rating for the first week. After this, you would hope the ratings would go up, but they really don't. That 0.8 kind of just becomes their level. Yeah. 0.8, which it translates to roughly 1 or 1.1 million fans. That's basically their audience and never stopped being their maximum audience. Yeah, they just had a really devoted group of fans who would watch them on TV every week, and then they had a smaller group of fans who would buy their pay-per-views. I think I did the math one time. I can't remember exactly what it came out to, but if you have a million fans and 50,000 of them buy their pay-per-views, and WWE has like 9 million people watching Raw, and they have like 400,000... I think it actually worked out to like more of TNA's fan base actually is buying the pay-per-views, but it yeah, doesn't probably. really translate to any money. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. At this point, Raw probably has like 5 million viewers a week, I want to guess. SmackDown, I don't know. Yeah. And their pay-per-views are doing like 150. So like it actually is more for TNA, but you can't have a business where you only sell 40,000 pay-per-views and that's all the money you make because they're not getting any attend they're not getting any ticket sales they're not going on the road particularly when they sign as they've now signed kurt and sting and christian their payroll has gone their payroll has exploded (laughs) over the course of the previous year and their business really hasn't grown much they've grown a little bit because i'm sure they're getting a better tv rights deal now that they have a better time slot from spike but this is still when TV rights are minuscule compared to what they are now. They weren't getting anywhere near what what um AEW gets today. I'm going to be totally clear about this. I've never heard anybody actually talk about the financials of TNA to the point where it's almost weird. But I would be absolutely stunned if this company lost less than $2 million any year that it was ever in operation. Like maybe recently that they've like stripped it back, maybe. I don't even know. I don't even know what that. Yeah, like what are they even now? Like they're owned. Are they? There does Fight TV own them now? Uh did they buy them? I thought. I I don't think Anthem owns them anymore. I maybe Discovery. I don't know who owns them now at all. To be honest with you, yeah, I think they're owned. I think they're owned by Fight TV, who televises them, and that's why they exist because it's just content. That's you know. Very cheap to produce since the company that, you know, is broadcasting them owns them. And here's the thing is that like Dixie Carter, you need to understand that like Panda Energy, who functionally owns TNA (laughs) and who's like founder and CEO and top guy and chairman of the board is Dixie Carter's father. Panda Energy has like a trillion dollars. They don't give a fuck about losing $2 million. Like, imagine the Ted Turner situation, but Pan Energy has much, much more money than that. It's an absurd situation. They would literally have board of directors meetings where people would be like, oh, we pissing more money away on that Dixie Carter bullshit. And Bob would be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, who cares? Yeah, I, let me see if I can quickly find Panda Energy's market capitalization. Uh, not immediately not immediately finding it but they are enormous i mean particularly at this point when wwe is a smaller company they like yeah bob carter has dramatically more money than vince mcmahon ever has 
And Panda Energy has way more money than WWE did at this point. I Again, WWE has grown a ton in the interim, so I don't know whether Panda is still that much bigger, but I suspect they probably are since they're a massive energy conglomerate and there's a lot of money in producing electricity. I, re- I think I remember that there was like a, a genuine fear among some people that like one day Dixie Carter would just talk her father into going to Vince with a check for $5 billion and just buying <laughs> WWE. Like... <laughs> It wasn't he's a rich. I don't think he's fear. that rich. Yeah, I, I don't think it's like a realistic fear or anything like that. But like, they were certainly happy to like. When Hulk Hogan eventually comes to this company, he goes in front of the board and directors, and they're so impressed because they actually know who the fuck he is that they're just like, "Yeah, two million dollars a year. That sounds fair. Go for it." Yeah, they certainly they don't care about this. The parent company of this, it's literally like a Christmas present for his daughter. It's all Dixie Carter's ever wanted to do. So this is just a a, play, a sandbox. It, it's a playground. It it means nothing to the people who own it. Okay. So on that episode of Impact, LAX uh, kicked off the show threatening to burn the American flag. Kurt showed up to stop them. Um, and then he agreed to accept Samoa Joe's challenge at Turning Point on the condition that him and Joe would watch each other's backs until then. I don't have any particularly, like, I don't know why, either in kayfabe or kind of from a storytelling perspective that you would do that. The only thing that I could think is if this was going to result in the next week being a match between LAX and Joe and Angle... That, that would have kind of kicked ass. That would have kicked I mean, that is, fucking ass. That did end up happening. But it was oh, a really that? short match. And yeah. It was supposed to be Angle and Petey Williams against LAX. But right. LAX beat up Petey Williams backstage before the match. And Kurt had to wrestle the match alone for a little while. And then Joe showed up to be Angle's partner. And they won. But Jim Cornette refused to award them the tag titles. Because... Seemingly, again, the writers are trying to bury Cornette. Also, let's be clear. Uh, having them win the tag titles immediately before their match is the most Vince Russo, Russo trope. trope that yeah. exists. Like just every main event feud. It feels like every main event feud Vince Russo ever booked. The guys won the tag titles together. Do you remember when John Cena and Shawn Michaels did that before WrestleMania? I went, I actually went on and looked up, like, does Vince Russo work for this company again? Where, who the fuck is pitching that idea? <laughs> She's sending them ideas. That was, um, that was the year after that. That's only a couple months after this, actually. It's like three months after this. That's like when Vince said, call Dusty up to get a finish for this battle yeah. royal. We need a but, feud between we need a feud between Cena and Michaels. Call Russo. I guarantee that did not happen. <laughs> and then on the December seventh Go Home Impact, um, only three weeks between pay per views here, so a really short build. They did a gigantic six way match. Listen to these names: Abyss versus Christian versus Joe versus Kurt. Versus Rhino versus Sting. On free TV. And it's like a five-minute match. What the fuck? (laughs) And Kurt gets the win by pinning Joe, which is the last thing in the world I would have... Like, of all the things I would have booked here, neither of them beating each other would have happened. No, I would have had Joe win that shit. 
by beating like yeah. I would have had him beat Abyss, so you can build to a title match later. Set him up as a challenger for the title, yeah. You should say this next this match between them is a number one contendership match now. Joe wins it, he faces Abyss. So also on this show, we're gonna have Abyss defend the NWA world title against Sting and Christian Cage in a triple threat match. Um Christian challenged Sting to put his title shot on the line on that Thanksgiving impact. And they had a main event match, which is a pretty big match to be given away on free TV on Thanksgiving night without a build. It's first time. I mean, they've been building to Sting and Christian on some level all year. Like when Christian first came in, when Sting came in full time, they teamed them up. It feels like we've been, this was when, you know, before Kurt came in, this was the biggest match TNA could do, and we're going to do it on TV here. Yeah, I mean, maybe they were just cocky about the fact that, like, well, now we have much bigger matchups that we can push yeah. to now that we have Kurt in the building. Or, but, but also, this was an important thing to get right, to have, like, this primetime two-hour show. Like, you had to kill it. Like, there had to be a good rating. So they were like, fuck it. This is the biggest match not involving Kurt Angle we can put on. Let's do it. That match ended in a no contest after Tyson Tomko made his TNA debut and attacked Sting. Now, over the course of this season, there's going to be, I would say, conservatively, 20 former WWE guys who are going to show up in this promotion. This is maybe the best one. Actually, you know, I know, guys, you're expecting us to bury this. We're going to bury Tomko. Oh, it's another ex WWE guy. I think Christian as a heel needs a heater, and like Tomko's a strong choice for it. They just have such incredible chemistry together. And like Tomko is perfect in this bodyguard role. Like, there's maybe nobody who's ever been better at this. He's just a perfect bodyguard. And then later, when they get AJ in that stable, AJ and Tomko together are a fantastic team that brings out a ton of personality in AJ. Like, they get, like, a year's worth of awesome shit out of Tomko, which is way more than you can say about almost anybody else they bring in. So the funny thing about Tomko is I always thought he was short because he wasn't that much taller than Christian. Because I always thought Christian was short because he always worked with tall people and he's really skinny. I thought Christian was like 5'10 and Tomko was like maybe six foot. Like actually Christian is 6'2 and Tomko is like 6'4. That's funny as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I just had this thing about Christian where I thought he was really tiny because he was always standing next to Edge. He was always standing next to Edge wrestling other people who were big as shit. And then, like, he was skinny and scrawny, so you just imagined him being tiny. Yeah. I mean, I think I thought the Hardy Boys were a lot short. I mean, it was just the average size of a wrestler was so much bigger back in the Attitude Era that guys who were just, you know, normal people height, like normal tallish heights, like, you know, the Hardy Boys, Shawn Michaels, Christian looked tiny. They looked like they were short, whereas today they'd be some of the taller guys on the roster. Yeah, I just have it in my head that like Triple H is average height. And I know in academically, I know that he's like six three. Like he's not average yeah. height at all. But like he was working with The Rock and The Undertaker and Kane and those guys the big show, those guys are all gigantic. Exactly. And now all those guys are gone. Now the biggest guy in WWE is like 6'5". It's ridiculous. 
Um, so that set us up for a triple threat match here. We've got Abyss defending against both Sting and Christian. Um, Sting has taken an interest in Abyss. He is <sighs> trying to reach the human inside Abyss. So Sting, as we mentioned in the last show, is on his good Christian yeah. missionary ways. Where, yes. God damn it, I'm going to find the best in people. Like, he took the belt from me, and it's an evil belt, and it makes men bad. So I'm going to I'm gonna reach into the monster, and I'm going to find the man in there. I'm going to pull the devil out of him. It's, it's literally some Christian missionary bullshit. <laughs> Very much. Straight out of Vince Russo's Ring of Glory. And, like... When now was gonna, Ring of Glory? When did that happen? Was that when Russo was gone this. from CNA? Okay, yeah. In, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Immediately before this run here. Because AJ is in it. Yeah. All right. Some odds and ends. Um, they're in a house show in Mexico, at Arena Mexico, uh, Saturday, November 25th. They drew an estimated 6,000 people, which I think is actually pretty good. I think they were on TV in Mexico, but I think it was a very recent development. Um, And I think this was a sold show, so it didn't really matter what they drew. They were making their money anyway. That's wild, though. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. It's so funny. People don't realize that, like, TNA had really strong international distribution. I don't know how they actually got that. Like, they're t- they were on TV in England, they were on TV in Mexico, they were on TV in Asia, they were on TV... Like, they got the first India deal before I think even WWE did, with, like, Ring Ka King and all of that shit. Yeah. Is it because I, they had more international wrestlers than WWE did? It might be that. I think they just had somebody in the office who, like, had a great connection to that sort of thing. Yeah. I would have to do, Maybe. like, I'll do more digging for a future show so we can, like, answer that question in more detail. But they always had, like, really strong international interest but they never went anywhere. Like, I don't know that they have another show in Mexico ever after this. They probably do, but like, it's not a thing that they would do often. Uh, Voodoo Kin Mafia showed up to WWE headquarters, but in incredibly lame fashion, it was at night while no one was there. They do this thing where they're like Ugh. literally like going running around the streets like yeah we're going to get to the target center because that's where they are like yeah. they're where the target center is and then they show up at a target. Yeah. They do and, that same joke like five different times. Dude, I the stuff is the, so lame. There's a segment on this show that we're going to talk about at length about the Voodoo Kin Mafia that is some of the wildest dumbass shit ever aired. Uh, Kevin Nash continued to do hilarious skits with the X Division guys, yes. including subjecting them to drug tests and psychological tests. He was very disappointed to learn that none of them were on steroids. That made me bust out laughing, where he's like, well, you all passed your steroid tests, much to my chagrin. Literally, like, starting in this show, he starts, like, accusing Sanjay Dutt yes. of being on the gas, and he just has, like, 150 steroids jokes. This is straight up Kevin Nash like stand up comedy routine shit. Yeah. This man is a genius. These really are some is. of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen on television. Forget about wrestling. In the psychological interviews, it's literally just him dressed up as Sigmund Freud showing Rorschach yes. block tests to like all the guys, and they'd be like, "That's my mom." And then they'd like pan over to Sinchi, and he'd be like, "Honor." <laughs> <This is> some <laughs> funny shit, man. Yeah, 
Um, do you think Nash could have been an announcer? He'd never take it seriously. He does commentary on this show. I think and he's, he's like the third. I think maybe he could work as like the third guy in the booth and he's just there to crack jokes. I think he could do it, but it would have to be like just sometimes. He's He can't be yeah. a regular guy because you need that guy to be passionate about the product and he can't portray that, right? He doesn't give a shit about this. The other really funny thing from the drug test was it turned out Chris Saban had chlamydia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also really funny, according to, uh, figure four weekly, Russo was under the impression that impact was permanently two hours. So he wrote a bunch of two hour shows that they had to cut down to one hour. Well, that makes sense. Cause the impacts around this period are like <laughs> jam fucking packed full of stuff. Way too, I mean, like impact was always a really fast paced show. And I, I like that, but yeah, these got super packed. They were just like flying through stuff. The go also, home. God, they put Kurt in every single segment on these shows. The go home show to this pay-per-view had 17 segments in an hour. Oh, that's wild. So that's it's a 42 minute show, and then you got like a minute for the opening package and a minute for the closing package. So you got 40 minutes of actual airtime. So the average length of these segments was less than three minutes. It would literally be like AJ Styles is mad. Ah, one minute out. Move on to the next <laughs> yeah. one. Smash cut. <laughs> All right. So to get into the show, this is Turning Point 2006. It's Sunday, December 10th, 2006, we're at the Impact Zone in Orlando, Florida. You know, same 900 people in attendance that there always are. The show only does about 35,000 buys. That's up a little bit from the 30,000 they did the year before. Um, It's way down from the 60,000 they did last month, and it's basically back to what they were doing before they brought Kurt in. That's just a gigantic disappointment. You want to know what the, do you know what the main event the year before that drew like the same number of buys as Kurt versus um, Samoa Joe did here? No idea. Jeff Jarrett versus Rhino. Wow. 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 Kurt Angle only drew 5,000 more buys than Rhino. Than Rhino. There we go. On commentary, of course, we got Mike today and Don West. And I don't know if we mentioned it on the last show, but of course, rest in peace, Don West. Um, big fan of the guy. Thought he was great on these shows. Big ups, Don West. Like, you were the voice that I wanted to hear. Like, honestly, there aren't a lot of people in wrestling who are commentators who actually are enthusiastic about the product they're talking about. Like, especially during that period, it seemed like everyone all they did was shit on it. Don West, my dude, you had enthusiasm for every single one of these shitty fucking segments in wrestling history, and I love you for it. In the dark match, Lance Hoyt and Ron Killings defeated Serotonin in four minutes and 47 seconds. Serotonin, just here to work dark matches. And Do get, jobs. And get hit, get hit with Singapore games. games. Yeah. Um, we open with a Christmas-themed package showing us who's been naughty and who's been nice this year. I always love these Christmas-themed packages. 
I actually completely forgot that Turning Point was their Christmas time one because for some reason I always think Genesis is in January because that just makes more it keeps, sense to me. It changes. I think by next year, I think like by next year, Genesis is in January and Final Resolution is in December. I think they flip these around. So when I I saw that this was Christmas themed, I was like, "What the fuck are they doing Christmas <laughs> stuff for?" Oh, that'd be really funny if this was in January and they were doing the Christmas package. This Dave Sahadi's like, look, man, I had a good idea. We're going to do it. I don't care. Yeah. Opening match. We've got an X Division match, part of the Paparazzi Championship Series that Kevin Nash is putting on to find the next big X Division star. It's Alex Shelley versus Austin Starr versus Jay Lethal versus Senshi versus Sanjay Dutt. I could ask you to put on your Qs Reviews hat and tell me who the big star is here, but it's Senshi, right? That's who you'd be pushing. Jesus Christ, does Senshi look like a mega star here, doesn't he? Yeah, now, compared to these guys, it really does. Now, this is before he's burned most of his bridges. So he still see like, he's already once, like, stormed out of this company saying that it sucks. And so he's back for a second run. In his defense, it does. Yes. Honestly, I think that all of these guys, except maybe Dutt, have, like, something pushable about them. I would have all of my money behind Alex Shelley. Alex Shelley would already be in, like, heavyweight main events, but that's neither here nor there. But since she meant, this is when he's, like, still young. This is when he's still, like, at the peak of his athleticism, and there's nothing he can't do. He's There is no wrestler in wrestling history anything like him. Nash is on commentary here. He spends most of the match making du- making jokes about Duck being on steroids. Nash is outright hilarious here. Like, he is cracking up yes. Tanae and West, who are trying their best to, like, be like, how can you, <laughs> yeah. how can you like, string along Austin Starr and Alex Shelley like this? And he's just like, what are you talking about, man? By the way, Sanjay Dutt, on the gas. <laughs> oh, Sanjay Dutt uh, looks like he's pretty tired over there. Starts doing so many of the damn steroids. He does another few so, of his jokes about doing, like, double moonsaults and stuff. Uh, they tag in and out here. It's elimination rules. Uh, they're competing for points in the Paparazzi Championship Series. So the first person eliminated gets one point, second person gets two, and the winner is going to get five. We should probably mention, so they're doing this because of the BCS championship series yeah, that's the pod pcs instead of bowl championship series there might very well be people listening to this who aren't old enough to remember when that was actually a thing because this is right about when they were thinking about getting yeah. rid of it right you have to go back to yeah it was it was still a thing until 2013 the college football playoff was created in uh 2014 Right. But you got to remember that this would have been right about I'm sure this was a year when it was super controversial and everyone was pissed off about it. So they just make light of it here because we're right about in December around that time. They were big on the college. What was the championship game this year? Good question. This is the year after you. This is the year after USC in Texas. Oh, you mean the greatest college football game ever played? Was. Struggling to think of what this was off the top of my head. Wait, 2006, this is, oh, this is the year Michigan and Ohio State were both really good. 
and Michigan lost to Ohio State. So it was Ohio State and Florida. Ah, yes. Yeah. Now, I don't know what was particularly controversial about that, but whatever. <laughs> there was some guy, there were some people that argued that Michigan deserved a rematch. They didn't, and they got their ass kicked by USC in the Rose Bowl to prove they didn't. Oh, and of course Nash would think that because he's from fucking Detroit. Okay, that yes. makes sense now. Yep. Here we are. Um, Shelly is the first man eliminated after he submits to Dutt's camel clutch. There goes the guy you wanted to push. Ah, uh, yep. Since she pins lethal with a drop kick, um, star hits a brain buster and a four fifty on Dutt to eliminate him. So we're down to star and Senshi, and then Senshi gets star in a small package to get the pin in about 14 minutes pretty good match fun opener it was a good match um for, for whatever reason this company never actually sees anything in alex shelley i don't know if it's just me i'm pretty sure that it's not but like i think he has a lot more star potential than they clearly think that he does every single one of these people gets a better singles push than he does at some point during their run Uh, Jeremy Borash is backstage with Eric Young. He's in a pink bathrobe because he has a bikini contest against Miss Brooks up next. How do you feel about the bikini contest? This went on for a really long time. Uh, they did a video package for the bikini contest. Of course you have to. It's big. It's a big match. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they're in the ring. Miss Brooks strips down to a two-piece bikini. Young takes off his robe, and he has a T-shirt with a bikini printed on it. Uh, Robert Roode rightly says, that's not a fucking bikini. He needs to lose. At which point, I went on Google and Googled what the actual definition of bikini is. And it can be either a very brief two-piece swimsuit for women or scanty underpants. Of which this is neither. Well, yes. He takes off the T-shirt to reveal SpongeBob boxer briefs. Rude is threatening to have him fired, which I don't know how he has the power to do that. I don't think that he does. Still not scanty no. underpants, though. Rude does still have a point. Is it just that Young is so paranoid about being fired that he'll just like go along with it because he's afraid to be fired? I think that the idea of the character is that he believes that everyone has the power to fire him, so he's terrified of making yeah. anyone mad. Yeah. Young is once again threatened with disqualification, and now he strips down to his briefs and is declared the winner. I do want to point out that like Jeremy Borash is pretty funny in this segment, because he, he's basically the MC and he keeps going to Eric like, look, Eric, you're going to have to take some more clothes off. Come on. Let's see that dick. Let's do it. Uh, Rude attacks him. Young bails out. Rude then yells at Miss Brooks that she needs to get Young to sign a contract with Robert Rude Incorporated. This went on for a really long time, and I'm not really feeling this Robert Rude storyline. Now, three quick things. Thing number one, the fans uproariously cheer Eric Young. So he deserved to win because I think that's how bikini contests are settled is by fan vote, right? Yeah. Uh, um, poor Tracy Brooks. Uh, thing number two, 
So the storyline that they're doing where Robert Root is like an abusive piece of shit to Tracy Brooks doesn't actually blow off with like her getting any sort of a face turn, really. Or like it, it doesn't go anywhere. And he says that he wants Eric Young to be part of his organization because people like Eric Young. Which, but like, why do you want him in your organization? Because people won't like you just because Eric Young works for you. No, it doesn't I don't make know. a ton of sense. Third thing, did you know that the bikini was named after the bikini atoll where the atom bomb was exploded because of the explosive effect created by the garment? No. Yeah. I did not know that. That's interesting. I just want you to know that when you're looking at Eric Young wearing his scantiest underwear, that that is the explosivity of an atom bomb. Hmm. Bringing facts yeah. to the show. Uh, we go backstage where I what is this interviewer's name? This is a new woman they've just hired. I don't know who this one is. This, there are like three <laughs> interchangeable blonde ones at this point. I I, I don't think I've ever okay. seen. Okay, I didn't one realize before. there. I didn't realize there was more than one. No, there's like multiple. Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy Borash, you're out of a job. She's not even listed on the actual like wiki page as a ring announcer or an interviewer. <laughs> She's outside the DX locker room, quote unquote. She gets accosted by a fat guy in a thong and runs away. Of all the ideas that you could steal from WWE, they stole Big Dick Johnson. (laughs) Yeah. And they stole it to make fun of WWE by replicating it 100% with a less charismatic guy. As bad as the DX reunion was, like, this was worse. Like, this TNA stuff is even worse. That's the thing. How are you owning them by doing the same bad segments that they're doing, but worse? I don't... That's not an own. There's nowhere for this to lead. Like, at least some portion of the fan base really enjoyed the DX stuff. Like... There's no way, like, DX was, like, doing stuff that was going to, like, make money for the company and lead to matches and advanced stories. There was never anywhere for this to go. Like, I don't know that it's the worst idea in the history of the world. I wouldn't have done it. To have, like, BG James and Kip James, like, start doing their own DX stuff to sort of capitalize on the fact that suddenly there's a lot more Google searches for DX and shit like that. Maybe, like, some tongue-in-cheek stuff. It doesn't have to be adversarial. They just also have the rights to be considered part of DX, right? I probably wouldn't have done that. But this is... Then there's, like, Vince is backstage. Yeah, that comes later. What are we doing? Next up, for the X Division Championship, we've got Christopher Daniels defending against Chris Sabin with Jerry Lewis, the special referee. Um, This was... A much slower-paced match than I expected from the X Division. I think Daniels always had a little bit more slower-paced ones. For for one thing, he's like five years older than everybody else in the division. But I think he just always wanted to like ground it in more of the main event style. Because the truth is, is that Christopher Daniels was a main event heavyweight that unfortunately couldn't gain enough weight. That's just yeah. the story of it. So his matches were never like the car crash shit. Uh, 
the big spot in the match, Daniels lays Saban out on the floor, jumps out to do an elbow drop. Saban was so far out, he was past the padding that's around yes. the ring and just on the concrete. Saban smashed his hip on the floor here, and he's lucky he didn't break his hip. This, like the way he was selling, I know he hurt himself for real here. So the way that the ring is set up, just to like put it in you guys' mind, is that like obviously it has the six sides and it has like just the normal mats around, but there's a big open area over where like the announce yep. table is. That's so that they can do like if they need to do any like really high flying spots, they can go out there. But normally, if they know they're going to do that in advance, they put extra padding out in front of the announce table. But here, Saban had rolled so far away. I don't know why Daniel still went for this. He does basically like a gigantic elbow drop and smashes in directly into the concrete. It's it's disgusting. Like, I, I'm amazed that he's totally fine and keeps wrestling after that. Yeah, I mean, the match seems like it might have gotten cut short. Daniels hits the Death Valley driver and wins with the best moonsault ever. I mean, I think he jacked his hip pretty bad on that elbow drop, so I'm sure that affected what they ended up doing at the end here. Probably, yeah. Uh, Lynn insists that they shake hands after the match, and then as they get into a scuffle, he ends up slapping Daniels. Jerry Lynn coming off as a huge dick in this rivalry yeah. so far. Like we're I don't know to, why he's felt the need to insert himself here. We're supposed to sympathize with him against Chris Saban because Chris Saban's his protege who's being super disrespectful to people, and he feels like that respect reflects poorly on him. But now he's just slapping everybody in the X Division who doesn't show respect. What are we doing? Jerry, what, what's up, buddy? This Jim Cornette. All going to re- result in Jerry Lynn's improbable comeback to the ring. Jim Cornette comes out. He brings out AJ Przinski and Dale Torborg. Um, I believe Przinski is playing for the White Sox at this point, and Dale Torborg is the former Kiss Demon from WCW, who then became like a strength and conditioning coach for the White Sox. That's correct, yes. Yeah. And Przinski has been on TNA before. He's like a huge mega fan, like... He's actually pretty good. Like, he can cut like cut some promos, did some physical stuff. Like, no problems there. And then they bring out David Eckstein, who's fresh off when it being World Series MVP for the St. Louis Cardinals, who regrettably defeated the Detroit Tigers four games to one back in November. October, so- the World Series. Back then, the World Series was in October. Now it drags into November because the playoffs are so long now. I'm sorry, buddy. As soon as they mentioned this, as soon as this guy came <laughs> out, I was like, oh, right. Steve's going to have to watch this and relive it. It's all right. Not that big of a baseball fan. But D- yeah, David I was X- really open. Everybody thought the Tigers were going to win the World Series that year. It seemed like they were the best team. But as happened to us a couple times, our bats just went dead. David Eckstein, outside of his baseball uniform, is like the the generic insert perfect definition of jabroni. Yeah. He looks like a five foot six vanilla midget nobody. Eckstein to promote his book. Yes, and Torborg starts ripping the pages out of it. What a fuck! 
This this seems for all the world like it's just going to be like a, a glad hand a celebrity segment. Like it doesn't yeah. seem like there's going to be anything real until the camera pans over and Torborg's just ripping pages out of this guy's <laughs> children's book. I popped for that. That was oh, hilarious. It was, a, it was hilarious. Um, and then Brzezinski gets on the mic and starts talking shit, which is also very funny and very in character. Oh, it's also pretty good. He's just like, well, you yeah. think the fucking Cardinals are any good? Anybody can beat the fucking Cardinals or the Tigers. We're fucking better than you guys. You suck. Uh, Torborg then punches out Eckstein's brother. I forgot to mention he brought his brother out with him. His brother, who does not say one word, stands yeah. there and then eats a <laughs> fist to the face. <laughs> Hope he didn't pull his punch. It didn't look like he did. That guy goes flying. And then, okay, this segment is clearly going to be on SportsCenter and get mainstream coverage. Which of our stars can we use to promote here? Who do we want to have on ESPN? Sting, Kurt Angle, Christian. Lance Hoyt runs out to make the save. Lance Hoyt, baby. Lance fucking Hoyt. Whenever they had, like, a question mark of, like, well, we don't really want to use one of our top baby faces for this. Who is a young up-and-comer? It's always Lance Hoyt. It's always Lance Hoyt. Why not use somebody people have actually heard of here? I don't know. I mean, it would be weird if, if like, Kurt ran down before his big-ass match to be like, oh, 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 you can't beat up a St. Louis Cardinal in my ring. Yeah, and, like, I guess maybe using Sting is weird because Sting is mysterious and all that. Although the Sting baseball bat is a nice tie-in. Truthfully, there just aren't any up-and-coming baby faces in this company. There's the good X ones. Division. There's the Tag Division. There's the main event, and there's nothing in between except Lance Hoyt. There's nothing else there. They do the video package for AJ versus Rhino. AJ has been, like, spiraling. He uh, has abandonment issues from his childhood, so he doesn't trust anybody. While we were coming into this, you, you asked me something about AJ Styles as a heel, and like, oh, yeah, he's a much better heel. We should get that. <laughs> and I had to break it to you that at this point in his career, AJ Styles had only been heel one time. And that was when he was managed by Vince Russo oh. and was using zip it as his catchphrase. Zip it was his catchphrase. He tells people to zip it. I heavily recommend you guys go out of your way to like video on YouTube the promo that he cuts on Ricky Steamboat. <laughs> Which includes the immortal line, Ricky Steamboats told me, kid, you're going to be great. And I looked at him and I said, zip it. Ugh. A plus stuff. So no, Rhino does a back. Any good. Rhino does a backstage interview and AJ attacks him in the middle of it. They fight through the backstage area for a very, very long time. I was hoping this would mean we didn't actually have to have the match, but unfortunately we did. If anybody uh, at one the... point, yeah, go ahead. Rhino like, tries to do a brain buster like, onto a mailbox and just drops AJ on his head on the concrete. I mean, what the fuck is this? 
It's like one of those big blue things that's on the corner that you can drop a letter into. He tries to like hit him with a suplex of Brain Buster onto him, and AJ just slides right off and hits his head on the concrete. Why would Fuck. you think this was going to work? It's not like Rhino's. <laughs> it's in- not flat. This thing is as tall as Rhino is. <laughs> <laughs> and yet. They keep fighting. They fight through the crowd. And after, I swear, 10 minutes, they get into the ring and we have a match. Yeah, this is officially listed as a seven-minute match. It's 20 minimum. And it's bad. This is where I noticed AJ's tights have ripped. Yeah, he's got like a full chunk out of the ass. (laughs) Nice look at AJ's ass here. Yeah. Um, they fight back to the floor. AJ jumps off the guardrail, but Rhino catches him with a hip toss. Um, they go back in the ring. AJ hits a Pele kick. AJ sets up for the Styles Clash, but Rhino gets out of it with a backdrop over the top out to the floor. AJ sells his knee like he blew it out, and the ref throws up the X sign. Um, I feel like this is right when it had become common, common knowledge that the X means legitimate injury. Yeah. This has been done absolutely to death, but I actually kind of didn't hate it here. AJ sells this pretty well. This was really well done. Like, watching yeah. this original, like, if I'd been watching this live, I 100% would have believed that AJ was actually hurt here. I genuinely watched this and I was like, oh shit, I don't remember AJ blowing his knee out here in the middle of the fucking summer, in the middle of the winter. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the officials spend a long time checking on him. And as they start to carry him out, he jumps up, runs into the ring and rolls up Rhino for the pin. That was awesome. What a fucking killer finish. Yeah. I mean, they probably should have just gone with AJ as a heel at this point because, I mean, what else are we even really doing, right? Yeah. They kind they basically wind up turning him back face for a minute and then heal again. I mean this I I get the sense this is going to be a season of a lot of face and heel turns cuz it seems like I mean they've already done it with Kurt and looking at what Kurt's trajectory it looks like they do it with him two or three more times in the span of this year. Well, let's recontextualize this. So if you accept that from the moment that we basically started this season is when Vince Russo takes over, all of a sudden everyone on the whole roster has become a lot more tweener-ish, right? Yeah. It's not necessarily that AJ's turned heel. He's just got an attitude now. Chris Sabin's got an attitude. Christopher Daniels has an attitude. Everybody's got like a thing now. Everyone's like angsty about nothing. That's some Vince Russo shit. We go backstage to a quick shot of a fake Vince McMahon. He's got a chicken in a cage, a rooster, uh, you know what. I had to, like, take a second to remember that DX did all those Vince McMahon loves cock things. Yeah, they sure did. And it bummed me out to remember those. And it bummed me out even further to realize that this is, they don't even try to make a joke here. They're just like, here's my rooster. Remember? Remember the segments on Raw? That That's the laziest shit I've ever seen. You could at least try to make your own joke out of this. There's no attempt at entertainment. It's just mockery for mockery's sake. 
Uh, Rhino and AJ fight back into the arena and have to be separated by security. I mark for that every time. We're like, we cut away to a segment, and then we come back, and the guys are still fighting. I always I love that. that. Yeah. Uh, there's a video package for for LAX versus America's Most Wanted in the flag match. And then we go backstage where Conan cuts another killer promo. Like, we're, we're going to keep putting these guys over. LAX is so damn cool. Conan is on fire. Like, Conan's yeah. always been cool. Like, in WCW, he was cool as shit, but he never had anything to say, right? These promos he's cutting are, like, some of the best manager promos yeah. I've ever seen. And, like, his it's team looks so much shit. heat. Yeah. But, the, I mean, it's it should be heat. It's like trying to get Southern Memphis heat. But because this is the year 2006 and, you know, they got a pretty decent Latino fan base, I assume, down in Orlando – they are actually getting over his baby faces because they're just that cool. Because they're cool as shit. They do yeah. cool moves. They look awesome. They come through the crowd. Their music is amazing. They're amazing. They're the coolest stable there is. They finally Here's an idea. Huh. Should they have had LAX be the ones shitting on DX? Now that's interesting. It'd I mean, be like we like, you know, yeah, yeah. Maybe 10 years ago, DX was cool. Now they're two old dudes pointing at their crotches. Can you imagine like the runway you could have given Conan to be like, hey, oh make fun of those motherfuckers. Like, yeah, there's a bunch of white jabronis up in Connecticut who think that they own the letter X. Fuck those guys. Conan would have shredded DX on the mic here. And there's not like there's any. And you know what would have burnt Triple H up inside? Because he's the only person in that whole situation who knows what TNA is or probably watches it at all. But he would have known, and it would have made him furious. Does Conan hate the click from his time in WWF? I don't think he was there for long enough. I don't remember him ever really no. saying stuff about it. Yeah, I think he just left the WWF because he didn't wear, want to wear the Max Moon suit. Oh, yeah, and they didn't pay him enough either. He was making crazy money in Mexico at that point. But he hates the WWF because when he tried to go back there, when he wanted to leave WCW, Bruce Pritchard didn't know who he was. Bruce Pritchard asked him to send tapes. Yes. At He's like, uh, can you send us like some photos and some tape? This is like 99, 2000 at the peak of Conan's international popularity. But because he called up and said, yo, it's K-Dog, Bruce Pritchard's like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Send me a tape, jabroni. Get out of here. He maintains he knows who knew who Conan was, but I'm not convinced. There's no way he knew who Conan was. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he did. He spends so much time on that podcast trying to convince us that he was in on a bunch of stuff. He doesn't know shit. Next up, we've got the flag match for the NWA World Tag Titles. LAX defends against America's Most Wanted. Um, on the last pay-per-view, Cornette was threatening to strip LAX of the tag belts, and it didn't happen because LAX brought out their lawyer, and you know, he threatened to sue if it happened or something like that. I don't know. Who cares? Somewhere in a dark basement somewhere, we have scrawled on a chalkboard a list of matches, a list of gimmick matches, of which there has never been a good one. 
could never be a good one. I think like scaffold matches up there and bull rope matches up there. I don't know yeah. what else is on it. Flag Guys, match has got to be on there. <laughs> I'm alarmed to tell you, I think this was actually kind of good. This was per- this was the best flag match ever, and I feel completely comfortable saying that. It's still now, probably the, the worst. The gimmick match. made it worse. It would have yeah. been better if they just had a straight up tag match. Yes, but. yes. Like this gimmick didn't help. But Steve, these teams are so awesome that you know you couldn't. It was undeniable. I want to freeze those words you just said in amber and bring them back to every podcast we do for the rest of this season. It would have been better if they had just had a normal match. That's what it comes down to. TNA in this era, when the writers would get out of the way and just let these guys wrestle, great stuff would happen. But because it's Vince Russo... Shit just always got in the way. The storyline always has to be more complicated. It always has to be a gimmick match. Because he just fundamentally doesn't believe that people want to watch wrestling matches. But I think the fans TNA was attracting do want to watch wrestling matches. That's the thing. There's probably a product that Vince Russo could have booked in the 2000s when he still had some juice left. That would have been palatable for a fan base, not this fan base. This fan base was the fan base that split away from WWE because they wanted yeah. a wrestling alternative. Yeah. This is the fan base that AEW has found and cultivated and made money off of. But TNA couldn't reach that fan base because that's not what they wanted to present. They didn't want to run that company. That's just what we wanted from them. All right. So the way this works, both flags are hanging on poles. You have to climb up the pole and get your flag. And then you have to climb a ladder and hang your flag like from the hooks at the top of the ladder. So it's I it's a two part flag match. And I have no idea why. I've never seen one that was exactly like this. It is pretty weird. I mean, I, I guess it winds up fine. I just, like, why don't you just do, like, a ladder match where you hang the flag? Why does it have to be... Uh, whatever. It doesn't matter, but it's just a weird... You're putting obstacles in the way of this being a good match. And then they'll play the winning team's national anthem. Oh, yes, they will. Yeah. Is this the one storyline they're letting Jim Cornette book? It does feel like that, doesn't it? It's like when AEW let Cody book just his storylines and it felt completely alien from the rest of the show. Yeah. And he also appears in like every single segment related to this storyline. Yeah. And I can't really tell you why. Well, I'm guessing LAX is probably Jim Cornette's idea. It sounds like a Jim Cornette idea. It's it's just... It's a modern-day version of the gangsters from Smoky Mountain. Right. It, it Like, he didn't know that it was going to blow up and be this awesome, but... No, he's just trying to get some old-school race heat here. He was... Tr- okay, here's the answer to this, and I don't know if anybody... If you guys out there actually know this, but do you know what they were trying to accomplish with the LAX storyline? It was to push Chris Harris. The, all of this... <laughs> 
All of this only exists so they can push Chris Harris as a main event babyface. Yeah, that's interesting. Yes. That's a stupid ass idea. And all of that's going to happen here during the course of this season. And we're going to see how that goes. We already know the ending. That's Braden Walker on ECW saying, knock, knock. Knock, knock. Who's there? I'm going to beach brains in. (laughs) How did he gain like 50 pounds between when he left TNA and went to WWE? It was like two weeks. It's just depression weight, brother. (laughs) Braden Walker. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so they start out brawling on the floor. Hernandez sends Homicide flying out to the floor with a backdrop where he lands on Chris Harris. And then Gail Kim does a moonsault down to the floor onto Homicide. How much ass did that kick? An amazing amount. Gail Kim is easily the MVP of this match. Gail Kim is the best women's wrestler in the world at this point, And, like, probably one of the top ten wrestlers in the world of any gender. I think I would be completely comfortable saying both of those things. She is yeah. unstuck from time. She went to WWE to try to like wrestle in their women's division, but it's not a real women's division, so she didn't find a home there. No. And then, really sadly, she has to go back to WWE, which she hates because TNA wouldn't pay her a wage she could even live on. But I want you guys to understand that the, the ending of this season, the triumph of it, is going to be Gail Kim finally convincing TNA to launch a women's division, which TNA's women's division has a huge impact on women's wrestling getting to where it is today. And that's only because Gail Kim is so inconceivably good that they couldn't say no to letting her try to draw money for them. It also goes on to be the highest rated thing on their shows. By far, like way outdrawing everything else. Yeah. (laughs) I think, like, the first Gail Kim Awesome Kong match they do on TV is, like, the highest-drawing individual segment in their history or something like that. And I feel like to this day, like, Vince Russo rants that women can't draw money because he's still really butthurt about the fact that, like, the, the Dutch man tells women segments were outdrawing everything he was right in. Oh, yeah. Dutch would only be allowed to book the women, and all of those segments would be white-hot with megastars. Meanwhile, he's playing in his sandbox with Abyss. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Harris hits a big spine buster and then a plancha to the floor. Storm hits Homicide with a power slam. Harris with a backdrop on Homicide onto the ladder, but Hernandez just tosses him with an overhead belly-to-belly suplex onto the ladder. Hernandez is a freak. We've seen a lot of people do belly-to-belly suplexes, and especially... Especially recently, doesn't it seem like a lot of people have trouble getting people over for him, and it's kind well, of scary? Yeah, what's-his-name broke Biggie's neck with one. Yeah, who, one of the brawling brutes. Fucking Hernandez would grab him by the oh. neck. Not even by the Trust. chest. By the Flip neck. Him. And just send him. I mean, an overhead belly-to-belly suplex is hard. I think you not only have to be strong, you also just have to, like, understand how to move your body to create the leverage. So, like... Kurt Angle's great at this. Kurt Angle can toss anybody. Brock yeah. Lesnar can toss anybody because he's both strong and he's a wrestler, amateur wrestler, so he understands how to use leverage. 
a lot of guys, even if they're strong, I think just don't quite know how to get the torque to toss somebody the right way. Yeah, if you haven't done amateur wrestling, you probably don't know how to, like, pop your hips well enough to actually do this. Especially when you're doing it to, like, 250, 300-pound dudes. The, the benefit to the Hernandez way is he's not getting them from the waist. They're jumping for him, and then he's just directing them 20 feet behind him. So basically, they just jump into the air, and he grabs them by the neck and just throws them over his shoulder. Who else was great at this? Taz. Lance Storm tweeted recently that Taz told him when they wrestled, don't jump on my suplexes, I'll get you over. Like, you jumping might just mess things up. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, maybe, he's, maybe, like, don't worry. he's like, don't worry, I got you. But see, like, when Jim Ross would talk about low center of gravity is just a way of, like, talking about how some guy was, like, short or fat. In Taz's case, he literally is, like, low center of gravity, right? Like, he's coming at you yeah. from, like, below. He can get you up. <laughs> it's the difference between bending over to pick something up or, like, picking something up that's above you. It's easier that way. <laughs> LAX with an electric chair drop, elbow drop combo on Storm, and then Homicide breaks out the three amigos, which gets big cheers and chants for Eddie. Oh, this is after his death, isn't it? Um, Yeah, he's died a little over a year before this. Right, yeah, He yeah, died yeah. in 05, yeah. Um, Harris with a superplex on Homicide... Um, Homicide grabs the Mexican flag. He goes to climb the ladder to hang it, but Storm cuts him off with a sunset flip powerbomb off the ladder. Holy shit. He does this so casually. It's awesome. Eris goes up and gets the American flag. Homicide goes for the gringo killer, but Gale cuts him off with a missile dropkick. Gale Kim is the coolest thing in wrestling. Gayo Kim is the wrestler that Lita always wanted to be. Yeah. Like, this is just like the Hardy Boys matches, except if Lita was awesome and useful and hit all her spots crisp, you know? She gets the American flag. She goes to hang it, but Conan cuts her off and slams her off the ladder. Dude, the heat. Grabs her by the back of the head and just plants her down on the ground and just boos. That's the yeah. funny thing. Homicide and Hernandez are baby faces. Conan's a heel. <laughs> Man. Conan being a complete scumbag. Who would have thought? The funny thing is, too, is I don't know if people really realized at the time, but Conan's not doing well health-wise here. Like, eventually no. he's going to get a cancer diagnosis that's going to, like, literally end his yeah. career. Yeah. He's got this problem with his kidneys and, like, TNA won't pay for his treatment, right? Yeah. So, like, well, they agree to pay for his treatment, and then they get the bill, and they're like, no, we're not paying that. <laughs> yeah, like, they didn't realize how expensive chemotherapy without insurance was. So, like, and, I mean, that's a whole thing that winds up killing LAX dead. But, like, so, really, Gayo Kim is a fair fight for Conan at this point, because he's not super healthy. But it's just so funny to see him just be such a dickhead. Petey Williams, who I, who I will remind you is Canadian, shows up. Why do they keep shoehorning Petey Williams into this? Petey Williams has now entered the Lance Hoyt zone of, yeah. oh shit, we need a baby face. Well, it's either Lance or Petey, and we already used Lance. Get him in there. Hernandez takes him out and then hits a ridiculous 
ridiculous no hands planche out to the floor. He got Undertaker height on this one. This man. And Woo! I think that- I think the TNA ropes are actually a little bit lower because I think just to like benefit the X Division guys. I don't know that, that for a fact. I just always kind of thought they were. This guy looks like a fucking 747 flying through the air. Looks like a superhero. Like, Taker's taller than he is, but this is maybe the bulkiest man I've ever seen fly like this. Homicide. I mean, Hernandez kicks so much ass. Like, what a star this guy looks like. It's such a great study, and they only let him do what he's good at. Yeah. Border toss, belly to belly, fly, that's it. That's all This dude looks like the Mexican Brock Lesnar here. Yeah. Later, when they try to actually get him to do anything past that, like as a single ah, star, it's a disaster because yeah. he can't. He can't wrestle matches. He needs Homicide for that. Storm and Homicide both climb the ladder and hang their respective flags. I don't I don't know why the match didn't end here. They should have played both themes at the same time. <laughs> a mashup. Yeah. Storm smashes a beer bottle on Homicide's head but some of the glass goes into Harris's eyes. They're both down, and Hernandez hangs the Mexican flag to win the match. Now, I really like this ending, because, like, Chris Harris has started to climb behind Homicide to knock him off so that they can win, but James Storm doesn't know he's here. So he pulls out the the beer bottle that they've used to win how God knows how many matches, smashes it in his face, does everything he's supposed to do, how the fuck is he supposed to know that Chris is down there and he gets glass in his eye? Like, a, a, as a cause for, like, a team to split up, this is as cool and, like, detailed a one as I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, Conan demands that they play the Mexican flag, and it feels like this is supposed to be a big heat segment, but the crowd actually stands respectfully for it. They play... The entire (laughs) Mexican National Anthem, which made me realize as it was playing that I'd never heard it before in my entire life. This is not what I thought it was going to sound like. It's not a particularly memorable song. But they play it straight through. And as you said, there are tons of people behind in the camera shot with like the hand over heart standing respectfully. Did not work out the way they were expecting it to. It's just, they like, think they were going to, like, throw shit in the ring, like, boo, Mexico. We don't hate Mexico. I guess. Also, LAX didn't, like, they didn't really play this up for heat. Like, I feel like they weren't really into this idea. Yeah. I mean, if you really wanted to go in that direction, you could have been like, you motherfuckers, listen to the Superior Anthem, fuck America. They don't, but they've already stopped doing that because Conan is not an idiot. Conan understands that they're baby faces and that they're cool and that they're going to draw money and that he's, he's doing what he needs to do to keep them there. Also, not that it matters, but Conan's Cuban, right? There is not one member of this team that is national-born Mexican. No. Uh, I believe uh, Hernandez is Mexican by descent, but he's from Texas. Homicide is Dominican, and I believe Conan is Cuban, yes. I mean... 
I mean, it doesn't tradition. matter. It's the proud Latin tradition name. of fake nat. Proud tradition, tradition of fake nationalities. It's the Russ, Latin like, American exchange. Yeah. Like it's, it's not a problem. <laughs> no, the, I mean the entrance video has a bunch of Che Guevara in it. It's just weird that like. For Cornette, the fixation is on Mexico, because of course it is, right? GP, yeah. But these aren't Mexicans. <laughs> no. Uh, backstage, Storm is furious with Harris. Like, he's just yelling at him while Harris is having glass picked out of his eye. Well, yeah, so, like, Storm gets knocked off the ladder. Like, he's still trying to win the match while Harris is on the ground picking, like, glass out of his eye. After the match, when he's, like, bummed out because he lost, he goes outside to the ring and Gail Kim and Petey Williams are, like, screaming at him. And he's like, what? What the fuck is your problem? He didn't see it happen. And, like, everyone is just, like, screaming and mad and in his face. And eventually he gets to the backstage area and Borash is like, what do you think about what you just did? And he's just like, he, not understanding at all what's going on, tells Borash, like, that motherfucker quit on us again. We lose all our matches because of him, because he doesn't have the heart he needs to apologize to me. Yeah, I loved that, it. That's some A-plus turning shit. He's in the wrong, but you 100% understand where he's coming from. And then BKM come out dressed as Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is... So they've got, like, like the face goop on that, like, Mission Impossible does. Yeah. But, like, a really cheap version of it because they just look like themselves. And, like, it's not particularly good. As far as impersonations go, this is not a good one. <laughs> Do you know how much Dude. comedy you could get out of impersonating Shawn Michaels and Triple H? Those people are cartoon characters. Yeah, especially, like middle-aged dudes trying to do the DX routine. Sean won't even crotch chop or say suck it. Like, this is fertile comedic ground. It also probably must be said that Billy and Road Dog, for as much as they're portraying it as if they're super mad and, like, they're going super personal, they're very careful not to say anything they can't walk back, aren't they? No, they want to get jobs with WWE in the future. Jesus. It's just so funny to think about that, like, a couple years down the line, they're both back there. Like, nothing ever happened. And here we have these segments where they're calling them dickheads. Yeah, whatever. A bunch of male cheerleaders come out and VKM beat them up. And then they bring out the fat, oily male stripper. And then they turn serious and they, like, rip off the Mission Impossible masks and... They say they're posting a million-dollar challenge to Triple H and Sean, not for a wrestling match, but for a fight. And then Road Dog calls them pussies and calls Vince a gutless piece of shit. So there's a lot of weird little details in here. Like, Road Dog at one point is just like, I didn't want to go to the Norfolk Scope and invade WCW, but you fucking made us, Vince. It's like, what? Why are... 
there's a lot of just like he's like oh yeah it's cool when dx invaded wcw but it's not cool when we invade and then like so they oh like you liked it when we did impersonations of other people but you don't like it when we do impersonations you oh my god this just goes on and on because they got a cease and desist from WWE, which of course they did because they're impersonating their performers on television. Yes. And like, I don't remember. I, I, my, t- my timeline is fuzzy here. I think that showing up to the WWE house show happened after this. Right. It but did. It's so, somewhere in here they show up to a WWE house show, and I think they actually made it in. I think they managed to get tickets. Now, is that the time that they show up backstage and, like, they film Ray with his mask off, or is that a different time? I think that's a different thing. I don't think it happened there. I think here they just – they managed to get in, and they were sitting, like, in the upper deck because they were the only seats available were upper deck seats. And I think Triple H – like, people realized they were there, and Triple H at least, like, tacitly acknowledged them on the mic. Yeah. Like – the storyline's terrible. This was actually a good promo. But like when when it turns to it's like Road Dog cut a good promo here because he's a very talented talker. Like, yeah, let's begin. Where's this gonna go? If these are your talking points that you have to issue a million dollar bullshit challenge that's never gonna be responded to, if you have to cut that promo, this is an amazing version of that promo. He's incredibly passionate. Like he like gets it across. A plus work. For a D minus F plus idea, <laughs> but yeah, you're um, right. He got fi- he got fined for the the language he used here. Got him heat with management. He got fined for this. And like maybe what you could do is have them be like, like all you WWE motherfuckers who are like coming here try to collect a paycheck now because I mean Road Dog had been with TNA almost from the beginning. Yeah, I mean I guess he. Yeah. he they could like start up a feud with Angle or something like that and have it be like, fuck you, Kurt. You've been taking Vince's hands out for years. I guess you have to find someone for them to fight. You can't yeah. think Triple this H and Shawn Michaels are going to show up. Where does this go? Who do they end up like? Who do they end up feuding with? Um, so what actually happens is they wind up feuding with Christy Hemme, who begins managing a bunch of tag teams that WWE has released that they bring in, including the Basham brothers and the heartthrobs. Oh, wow. So they basically take my idea, but they do a really weird job of it. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's all to come, buddy. That's we're going to get there. (laughs) Next up. For the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, we've got the triple threat with Abyss defending against Christian Cage and Sting. The storyline here is that Christian knows a secret from Abyss's past because Tomko, like, grew up in the same town as him and knows him from back in the day. That's an awfully big coincidence. I don't understand why they even went with that. Why can't Christian just be like, I Googled it? Or I talked to your mom. Like, it doesn't... I did... Like, I found out your name, and I, yeah, did a criminal background check, and I found some stuff. There's the internet. This isn't that fucking hard. Or Christian banged his mom, because moms love a bit... Because moms love Christian. Wouldn't that be unbelievable heat if Christian just, like... He does. Just, like, a camera shot of Christian going up to Abyss's child at home and be like, Hey, Abyss, this is your mom's house, right? Well, now... I'm your daddy. And he goes in and bangs Abyss's mom and comes out like, what's up, Chris? 
At some point, he's going to get with Jungle Boy's mom. I know it's going to happen. It would be the biggest heel shit imaginable <laughs> to just start fucking dudes' moms. <laughs> Milf Slayer Christian. <laughs> you know she wants a piece of that. It's a, He's an instant classic. But he could do that with anybody. Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to get a title <laughs> shot. Hey, Moxley, guess what? I'm in Cincinnati tonight, baby. Uh, Christian comes out first with Tomko. According to to Tanae, he's never been pinned or tapped out since he came to TNA. That is correct. Yeah, undefeated for over a year now. Well, they they were keeping at the same time year-long undefeated streaks for both Joe and Christian. Yeah. Which was pretty impressive, considering like it didn't seem onerous or forced in any way, and they were keeping them both relevant without either one getting stale. That's a pretty huge accomplishment for that year. Sting is at second. He's, I think he's gone back to eating carbs because he's back to his old gear. Oh, yeah. He was just, he was shredded for that one month, and then he cycled back off the steroids. He was in – I mean, he's still in really good shape considering he's pushing 50, but he was in ridiculous shape before. I, I can't imagine how well he must have been eating to look that good at that point. Absolutely. And he clearly was like, you know what? I did it. I had that moment. One more cool. time. Yeah. Now let's go back to eating Taco Bell on the way back to the hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he can go back to wearing his singlet that covers his gut. Um, and Abyss is at last with James Mitchell. Um, Abyss and Christian go to the floor. Sting hits a crossbody from the top onto both of them. I love how Deathmatch Sting actually started in TNA. It's so funny because I don't think most people realize that because, of course, nobody really paid attention to all this TNA. Nobody watched this shit. But yeah, like Sting would randomly. And it wouldn't be every time. There are a lot of times he just mailed shit in. But when he felt like trying, he was like, break out the fucking thumbtacks. I'm going to dive off the stage. We're going for it. Uh, back in the ring, Christian hits Abyss with a tornado DDT. Sting comes back with a Tower of Doom spot. And he pops right back up. Stinger splash on Abyss. Christian hits Sting with some punches, but Sting doesn't sell it. Double Stinger splash on both Abyss and Christian. Um, Christian goes to the top, but Sting crotches him. Sting clotheslines Abyss out to the floor. Tomko hits Abyss with a big boot. Um, uh, Christian goes for the unprettier. Sting counters, puts him in the scorpion. Christian gets to the ropes, at which point Tomko slides him the NWA title. But Sting manages to duck the shot, catapults him into Abyss, then hits him with a Scorpion Death Drop. Looks like he's going to get the pin, but Tomko pulls the ref out of the ring. Good near fall there. That caught me. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff here that I really liked. Where, like, Abyss and Sting aren't really fighting each other. I mean, they are a little bit. No. And they're not really even bit, trying to prevent yeah. each other from winning. Like they're really somehow this is a handicap match against Christian that, it, but you're not really noticing it. Yeah. Tomko clothesline sting abyss comes back in. He knocks Tomko to the floor and he press slams Christian out of the ring. Abyss 
sets up for a choke slam on Sting. Mitchell brings the thumbtacks into the ring. Abyss is hesitant, but after Mitchell yells at him, he pours them out. Abyss goes to chokeslam Christian on the tacks, but Tomko hits him with a big boot, and then he curb stomps him face first into the tacks. That's horrifying. When I first saw this originally, oh. it, it might have been the most I'd ever cringed at a spot in my life. God, now, I would never do this. Now, I know now, because I've watched it a bunch of times, that he kind of turns his face at the last second, yeah. and he does still wind up getting a thumbtack through his eye, through his eyelid. God. Which, literally, Terrifying. like, th- these are, like, artificially, like, shorter than normal thumbtacks, so that they would be less of a danger to his eye, but it only takes one, you know what I'm saying, to lose your fucking eyeball. I just, whoa. It's a hell of a spot. Sting punches out James Mitchell, but he tries to reason with Abyss rather than fight him. Sting tries for the Scorpion, but a Christian slides in, hits him with a chair. Abyss then hits a black hole slam on Sting and gets the pin. Um, good match. I enjoyed that. Yeah. The ending is really weird because like a lot happens in like a five second span. Yeah. Like, Sting's, like, pleading with Abyss, and then he just suddenly puts him in the Scorpion, which is weird. Yeah. Which is like, Sting, what are you yeah. doing? Did you, get, did you get tempted by the belt? And then Christian jumps yeah, in. Yeah, I think you... Yeah. You probably could have just had Christian do the chair shot while Sting was trying to reason with Abyss. And That's then the right way to do it. Abyss take Chris... Have Abyss take Christian out, and then... Abyss, like, hits Sting with Black Hole Slam and pins him. Or why can't Abyss just hit Christian with the Black Hole Slam and pin him? Well, I guess they're trying to save him. Because they don't want to pin Christian. They want to keep him undefeated. Yeah. But, like, that's a good idea. Because you can just have Christian hit Sting with the chair and then, like, fling him into Abyss. And then Abyss hits Sting with the Black Hole Slam. And then he just shoves Christian out and pins Sting. James Mitchell pulls Christian out of the ring, trips him. Yeah. Because then that makes sense, because it's not like Abyss attacked Sting. Sting attacked Abyss. But it's a misunderstanding. That makes more sense, and that's the story you're trying to tell. To have Sting randomly attack Abyss out of nowhere was odd. And then Abyss has to hit a black hole slam on Sting with, like, one foot of, like, pull-in space. So he, like, really, like, grunts trying to get him up for it. Yeah. They do the promo for Joe versus Angle. Kurt explains that he agreed to give Joe a rematch because during his amateur career, he lost a match to an Iranian wrestler, and he never thought he'd get a chance to wrestle that guy again. But then when he made the Olympic finals in 1996, it turned out he was facing the same Iranian, and he beat him to win the gold medal. Um, He says this is the last time he'll ever wrestle Samoa Joe. Joe says he doesn't care if he breaks Kurt's neck, if that's what it takes to win. And Kurt says he knows he could end up paralyzed here against Joe. This got really dark in a hurry. Kurt cuts here. The promo I've been desperate for him to cut ever since he came back to the company. Not only does he cut what is a pretty compelling story about that Iranian guy. I wish that had been on TV. Uh, But he's also finally like... Joe's a fucking monster, man. Like, I've never been in a ring with somebody like this. 
I've been in a ring with some big dudes, but like this guy, he's so fast and he's so strong. I was lucky to get out with my life last time. I'm worried about what'll happen to me this time. It's a total U-turn from the Kurt Angle that was just like, I beat you, haha, fuck you, last time after he won him the time before. Like, if this had been the promos on TV, you could have built to something. This puts over Joe as a monster. Yeah. Oh. Um. All right. It's main event time. Kurt Angle versus Samoa Joe. Uh, crowd is split about 50-50s. Mix, mix of, you know, Angle chance and Joe's going to kill you. That's a good mix for a match like this, too. Like, they, they clearly like yeah. both guys. Yeah. They start a little slowly. They do a feeling out process. Um, makes sense to start, start slow because they, they want to get this one to about 20 minutes. Um, I think... The other issue they had, on top of, like, in the first match, Kurt says he called it early because he wanted to save some stuff for the rematch. But I, I also think there were some cardio issues for both guys with the pace of that match. Kurt hadn't been wrestling that much in oh, recent yeah. months, so I'm not, I don't think his cardio was where it had been in the past. And if you go back and look at that match, they don't stop, like, for, like, 10 no. minutes straight. Like, it is intense pacing. People don't wrestle matches yeah. like that. Uh, they brawl out on the floor. Kurt hits a really awkward plancha. This is one of the few times I remember him doing this. Like, occasionally he would do a high spot, and usually it was, like, crisp and picture perfect. Him doing a sloppy one here is, like, one of the only times I can really remember him fucking something up like this. When does he do that insane dive to Abyss? That's, like, three years from now. But where he does, <laughs> oh, like, okay. the, the mega flip <laughs> yeah. off the stage... And it's he jumps the most, like 20 feet and lands on his feet somehow. He has the most picture perfect high spot you've ever seen in your goddamn life because he's Kurt fucking Angle. He's just not a normal human. He's so athletic, it's crazy. And like, here's the thing that like makes must frustrate the shit out of people is that like. Kurt Angle's moonsault, at least you can believe that he like practices, practiced it a ton when he was training on how to wrestle, and that's why it looks so good. But there's stuff that he does in his matches that you know for a fact he had never tried before the exact moment that he tries it, and it's perfect every time. Like, what are you supposed to do about that? He does a super kick in one of those matches with Michaels, and it's like better than Michaels has ever done it. They get back in the ring. Kurt hits a vertical suplex. He then puts Joe in body scissors on the mat. Uh, Kurt with a massive overhead belly-to-belly suplex. It is incredible to watch him throw Joe like that. At least when he was doing this to, like, Lesnar. Lesnar's got, like, a smaller waist than Joe does, so at least you can get, like, your hands around him. Kurt can't even clasp his own hands around Joe. And he's still getting this motherfucker over effortlessly. I he, He's not human. Joe comes back with a huge German suplex that flips Kurt over. Um, Joe gets the coquina clutch in for a second, but Kurt breaks out with a headbutt, and then he hits the roll in Germans. Kurt goes for the Olympic slam, Joe slips out. Kurt picks his leg and gets him in the ankle lock. 
Joe rolls through, sets Kurt up on the top rope. He hits an insiguri. This insiguri spot Joe does is so fucking cool. Like, I know it's a leg slap, but it sounds awesome when he hits and it looks awesome. Also, like, there's probably a lot of wrestlers today who could jump and kick somebody who's on the top rope. Samoa Joe doing that shit is like Vader doing that shit. Got to be 280 pounds, legit. Maybe 300 at points. Here's the other thing, too. Like, Joe is probably 50 pounds lighter here than he is now in AEW. Like, he's obviously gained a lot of weight since then. Yeah. But on this roster, there's nobody big like this other than, like, Abyss, right? So, like, when he's in there with guys, he looks like Vader wrestling Ric Flair. (laughs) Even (sighs) Kurt. Kurt's pretty trim, especially for himself in these days. So he just looks like a goddamn giant beast jumping up and kicking a motherfucker 10 feet in the air. Joe goes for the muscle buster, but Kurt, like, slips out, rolls down his back, and gets him in the ankle lock. That was amazing. It's so smooth. I... I, Joe manages to roll through again. He, As he gets up, Kurt grabs him, hits the Olympic slam. Joe kicks out at two. Kurt locks in another ankle lock. Joe counters into the Coquina clutch. Kurt slips out. He reapplies the ankle lock. Joe manages to get him in body scissors, gets him in the Coquina clutch. Kurt grabs Joe's ankle, twists it. Rolls back into the ankle lock. This time he grapevines the leg. That's usually death, but Joe is so strong he manages to drag Kurt to the ropes. I believe at this point no Mm. one has ever done this to Kurt. We're literally. I think that's right. Yeah. I think the grapevine has meant automatic tap out to everyone up until this point, including like Lesnar and everybody. To the grapevine. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, if you can keep him from putting on the grapevine, you're fine. But, like, the grapevine means death. Not only does he not tap out, he drags him like he's got, like, a fucking, like, cannonball attached to his leg all the way to the ropes. Kurt sets Joe up on the top rope. Joe fights him off. Kurt pops up, and he does that amazing, like, spot where he runs up the top rope and hits the super belly-to-belly suplex. Unbelievable. I want you guys to remember that two months ago, we were pretty sure that Kurt Angle couldn't do anything in the ring without breaking his fucking neck. There was trepidation before that match with Abyss that he wouldn't even be able to take a singular bump. And, like... Now he's back doing this shit. But, like... We shit, people retroactively shit on these Samoa Joe-Kurt Angle matches. And I want you guys to know that watching these live was a revelation. This is awesome. They just get shit on because, like, neither one of these guys goes anywhere after this. So it, it was the peak. It was the peak of this promotion. But, like, these matches are incredible. They blew my mind at the time. Kurt sets up for another Olympic slam. Joe rolls through with an arm drag. Joe catches Kurt with a back elbow. That knocks down uh, Rudy Charles, the referee. 
Joe gets Kurt in the Coquina clutch again. Kurt taps, but the referee is still down. Joe, like an idiot, breaks the hold thinking he's won. You don't break until the bell rings, buddy. That's an amateur move. I don't, buddy. This is how you know who's a real babyface and who's a real heel. Because babyfaces make dumb decisions. I, and I, don't, I don't like spots that make somebody look this stupid. Like, go ahead and finish just, what this is, but I don't I don't like this one little part of this match because it doesn't make sense to me. Kurt then hits Joe with a low blow and goes out to grab a chair. Again, up until this point in this match, it has been a pure face versus face duel of skill and athleticism. This is some weird heel shit from Kurt. Why? Why are we doing he's this? He's a whiny baby, and he's mad that he tapped out, I guess. But that's the thing. Like, why do the tap out when there's no ref thing? Especially since he's going to lose anyway. Like, it just yes, doesn't... Yes, he's going to lose. That just doesn't make sense to me. If you just remove this little bit from the match, it's a perfect match. Kurt swings the chair at Joe. Joe ducks it. Kurt hits the top rope, and the chair bounces back and hits him in the face. Um, Kurt you know, slips on a banana peel. Joe gets him back in the choke, and Kurt taps out as the crowd goes. Crowd goes just wild. Like, people are jumping up and down here. This, Like, this is TNA 1. Like, Samoa Joe, TNA's guy, beat Kurt Angle, one of the biggest stars from WWE. I want you to picture this in your head, okay? They do the first match. Everything about the first match is exactly the same. Okay. At Bound for Glory this year, or, or next year, some 10 months from this from the last match, you have this exact same match, move for move, point for point, hold for hold, take out the weird part with the chair. That's the greatest moment in TNA history. Yeah. This might be the best match in TNA history under those circumstances. Yeah. The star that this would have made Joe. I mean, this is still it was this was still a big deal for him. Yeah. That he beat Kurt. I mean, the only real problem with it is that like at this point, Joe should have the belt on him already. And now it's like, well, he doesn't though. <laughs> but like th- this is a perfect moment. Bless Kurt Angle for being willing to do this job because God knows that he could have had the stroke to say, no, I'm not going to do a job in like my fourth match in the promotion. Like you get the sense that Kurt wanted to lose to Joe, that he wanted to do this because not only does he lose like pretty clean, but he does a double tap out in this match to Joe. Yeah. And, you know, that's the show. Like, Kurt is furious. He pounds on the mat. Joe takes off. End of the show. Uh, I mean, could they have ended it here? Could they have separated them now? I think, again, I'll argue they probably should have and saved the third match for further down the line. But they just seem committed to doing round three next All month. All they had to do was him was for Angle to come out on Impact and be like, last night Samoa Joe was the better man. A month ago, I was. I gave my word that I would never face Samoa Joe again, win, lose, or draw. I'm going to hold that word. But listen to me. If we ever find each other in that ring one more time, I'm going to show you who the real man is. And that's it. That's all you have to do, and then they can separate. Right? Joe goes after Abyss. 
He wins the belt. Angle fights, I don't know, LAX, AJ, doesn't matter. Whatever else you want to do. You just have to keep them apart for 10 months. 10 months. And then you can build the biggest star you'll ever have. Instead, round three next month. Ding, ding. And like six months later, round four. And six months after that, round five. Round five, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. It did finally draw again when they went back to it, no way, because they built it really, really well. But imagine how well this thing builds. Uh, if it, if at any point you had done anything other than run this into the ground. Yeah. All that lockdown proved is if they had done, because that lockdown is the match that they should have done at Bound for Glory. You can do that, basically that exact same shit, right? You can do that work shoot fight if that's what you want to do. Fine. Like, that's the match that you were building to here. Except there's two years of garbage in between. <laughs> and that match drew the biggest that any of your matches has ever drawn. Imagine what it could have done if you had done it right here. That, that's the only reason people think so low of the Joe and Angle feud, is that like these matches were unbelievable. This is the closest thing to like Kurt versus Chris Benoit and like the Rumble in 03 that I've ever seen from anybody since. So next month, next week, we got next month's pay-per-view, which is Final Resolution 2007, the first uh, pay-per-view of 2007. It's a show of almost all rematches headlined by Kurt versus Joe round three, this time in an Iron Man match. And, um, Sting versus Abyss versus Christian again. Somehow, in some magical way, there's only two gimmick matches on that show, and they're both completely understandable matches to have. The (laughs) Iron Man and The Last Man Standing, totally fine. This is maybe the sanest show Vince Russo books the entire time he's there. Yeah, he's going to become unhinged after this. All I'm going to say to you guys out there in TV land is like, a couple weeks from now, we're going to get to Destination X. And I just want to put that in the back of your head right now. Once we get to Destination X, shit's going to pop the fuck off. Yeah. Now right. we have to we have to resolve all the things from the previous year so we can get ready for 2007. Yep. We'll have all that and more next time on The Lawcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time.